Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Micah. The Old Testament book of Micah and Micah and chapter number 4. Micah and chapter number 4. We are continuing with our series of the Millennial Kingdom, starting to get on the downward slide as we get to the nuts and bolts and trying to figure out a little bit more what the Bible says about how the Millennial Kingdom works. And we're now in a segment dealing with the government of the Millennial Kingdom. And the next several messages will deal a little bit more with the intricacies, how the government works, who's in charge, how does this operate, all this details. And so if you don't mind, let's take a look at the Old Testament book of Micah. The Old Testament book of Micah and chapter number four. If you're looking for Micah, you might find it right after the book of Jonah. It's within the minor prophets section. So if you can't find Jonah, look for Obadiah. And so it's somewhere in there, the minor prophets section, the book of Micah, and notice with me in chapter number four. Micah and chapter number four, and notice with me starting at verse one. Micah chapter 4 and verse 1, the word of God says this. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. For all the people will walk every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, saith the Lord, I will assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and I will grant and her that I have afflicted, and I will make her that halteth a remnant, and her that was cast afar off a strong nation, and the Lord shall reign over them in the Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. And thou, O tower of the flock, and the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall come it. Even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Zion, or of Jerusalem. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Micah chapter 4? Micah chapter 4, notice with me in verse 7. The Lord shall reign over them. 
The Lord shall reign over them. And if you don't mind, we'd like to explore the scriptures and see through the scriptures the king of the millennium. The king of the millennium. Speaking about the millennial kingdom, we now want to put our attention not just on the millennial kingdom, but the king of the millennium. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you for all that your scriptures have revealed speaking about the Millennium Kingdom and that we could explore and that we could look, that we could learn for ourselves what you have to say and that we could be excited for that time that we get to experience ourselves if we've accepted you as a personal Savior. I'm asking that you would give much grace to us today, that you would give us understanding, that you would let the scriptures be clear, let them be placed in such a way that it makes sense, and that personally that you would help me in my ailments, that you would just give grace above measure, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, and that you would do this own message as I just set myself aside and lower myself and say, God, you take it all. I'm asking that you would get victory and that you would draw people closer to you because of the principles that we learn from your word today. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We begin to speak today about the king of the millennium. That many times when people start looking at the second coming of Jesus Christ, they look at the signs, they look at the wonders, they study the tribulation, they think of the rapture. But we fail to put attention on the G Christ of the second coming rather than all the stuff that goes with the second coming of Jesus. Here today we want to put our attention not just on the kingdom itself but on the king of the millennium. And so if you don't mind let's just start here in Micah chapter number four and just really look through the context and then we'll explore the scriptures to identify and see more about this king. But notice what the Bible says in Micah chapter 4, dealing with the king of the millennium and the things that are going to happen. Notice with me, first of all, in verses 1 and 2. It says, In those day, the last days it shall come to pass, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow into it. And many nations shall come, And say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways. And we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. What we see here in this context here is that Jerusalem is going to be the capital. And that the king will teach and he'll make his laws and words known from Jerusalem. So again, we're just exploring the kingdom of the millennial kingdom, just exploring what this passage says. And we see that first of all, Jerusalem, it's going to be the capital. It's going to be where the laws come from. When you want to find out what the law is, you go to Jerusalem. When you want to find out what God would have for you, you go to Jerusalem, because that's where Jesus is going to set up the headquarters. This is where the king is going to be located at. This is where the king is going to dwell, and he's going to judge all the nations. Notice with me in verse 3. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. 
and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What we see in verse 3 is that the king will be judge, will judge many peoples, and he'll rule nations that are far off. That from this capital in Jerusalem, that Jesus Christ, or the king, we're going to identify that it's Jesus later, so I'm getting ahead, but let's just say the king... He is going to rule not only the people of Jerusalem. He is going to rule the nations that are nearby. He's going to rule strong nations, mighty nations. He's going to rule nations that are far, far off. That from the capital of Jerusalem, the king of the millennium is going to rule the entire world. And every nation will be subject to this king. Notice with me in verse number four. All right, verse number three again. And he shall be judge among the people and rebuke many strong nations afar off. And shall they, these nations, shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What we see here in verse 3 is that it will be a time of peace in this world because of the ruler. Because of the king of the millennium. That there's no more going to be war against nations. Nations won't have swords. They won't have guns. They won't need them. They're going to use their time and their efforts to make equipment to help them farm and survive and to thrive as a society rather than have to fight other people. And this is going to come as the ruler is ruling from Jerusalem. Notice as we continue on verse 4. But they shall sit every man unto his vine and every fig tree uh, under his fig tree. And none shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Notice verse 5. For all the people will walk every one in the name of his God. And we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In verse 5 we learn that everyone will worship God and everyone will walk in the name of God. That everyone's going to serve the same God. Everyone's going to worship God the same way. And this is going to cause peace. We understand, we have learned throughout history, that the difference of religion has caused a lot of problems. For example, we do not claim the Crusades, that is more the Catholic people, but because of the Catholic people wanting to go take the Holy Land, didn't that cause a lot of problems? Didn't the Inquisition trying to kill all the heretics who did not believe... According to what the Catholic Church believed, didn't that cause a lot of problems? Doesn't the nation, uh, the the religion of Islam, cause a lot of problems and the conflict? And that they say there is only one God. Well, what's going to happen in the Millennial Kingdom? There is only going to be one God. It's going to kind of be easy when you could say, "Hey, there's God. Look at him." It's kind of easier for everyone to say, "Not believe by faith, but believe by sight." I don't believe Jesus is real. Well, let's go talk to him. That's an easy problem to solve. And so everyone during the millennial kingdom, there's going to be a lot of peace. Why? Because everyone's going to worship the same God and they're going to worship him in the way that God wants to be worshipped. And that's going to be part of the millennial kingdom. Notice as we go on and examine in verse 6. In that day, saith the Lord, I will assemble her that halteth and I will gather her that is driven out and I... And her that has been afflicted. Here what we see is that the king is willing to take anyone. Even those that are damaged and rejected. Now we know specifically he's speaking of Israel here who's been rejected. But it goes for everyone. You know who's invited to the millennial kingdom? 
anyone. It doesn't matter if they're rejected, if they're poor, if they don't have anything of value that they see. If they could be handicapped, they could be lame, they could be halted. And guess what? Everyone's invited to be part of that kingdom. He's willing to have them all. Notice again as we jump with that same idea to verse number 7. And I will make her that halteth a remnant. And her that was cast afar off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. Here we understand that the king is willing to take those that are rejected and make something special from them. Isn't that a wonderful thing of the millennial kingdom? That he's willing to take everyone and that anyone he can do and make something special from them. Isn't that a wonderful trait of the millennial kingdom? Notice with me in verse number 8 we see something else. And thou, O tower of the flock and stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come... Even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. What we understand in verse 8 is that the millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. And we've taken some time to explore that before. But the whole reason why we have the millennial kingdom in the first place is because it is a fulfillment of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. And so here was just a quick rundown. Let's explore the Bible now and see more about this king of the millennium. If you don't mind, let's first of all explore the identity of the king. The identity of the king. Who is this king of the millennium? Well, notice with me in Micah chapter 5. We were just in Micah chapter 4. Notice with me in Micah chapter 5. In Micah chapter 5, we can see some of the identification being laid forth. Who is this king? Micah chapter 5 and verse 1. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He that lay siege against us, they may smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon his cheek. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, thou... Though thou be little among the thousands of Jerusalem, yet out of, he, out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting to everlasting. And verse 2, what we understand is that the ruler of Israel, the ruler, the king of this millennial, is going to be born in a small town called Bethlehem. And from the small town of Bethlehem is going to be the ruler of the world. And then it puts something at the end of it. By the way, this ruler doesn't begin at Bethlehem. This is the ruler who came from everlasting to everlasting. The word everlasting to everlasting is a Bible way of saying from eternity past to eternity future. That we know that Jesus didn't begin at Bethlehem. He just robed himself in flesh and came to Bethlehem. And so this ruler is going to come from Bethlehem. Notice with me in verse 3. Therefore will he give them up. Until the time that she which travaileth had brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide. For now he shall be great unto the ends 
of the earth. Again, this is talking about this one that's born in Bethlehem. He is going to rule the earth. And he is going to be great in all of the earth. Who is this king? Well, let's see what the Bible says in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We know that the Bible says, as it's talking about Micah chapter 4, what is the millennial kingdom going to be like? And then it gives a description. And Micah chapter 5, it identifies that this ruler is going to be born from Bethlehem. Notice, as it continues on and gives that promise in Micah chapter 4, it said, he shall be great. He shall be the one that goes through all the earth. He's going to rule. Notice in Luke chapter 1, as the Bible identifies this king, verse Luke chapter 1, notice with me verse 32. Luke 1, 32. He shall be great and shall be called son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Forgive me, jump to verse number 31, the verse before it. Let's get context. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him, Jesus, the throne of his father, David. Who is this king that was born in Bethlehem? It was Jesus. And it's this Jesus who's going to be the king of the millennial kingdom. It is this Jesus who's going to rule that thousand year reign. Which brings us to a second thing. Not only who is the identification of this king. But also the time of the king. The time of the king. When is Jesus Christ going to rule and reign? Well, with that, let's look in the book of Daniel. We've already hit this before as preparatory work to this series. But notice with me in the book of Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. If you remember in Daniel chapter 2, what has happened is that (coughs) Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had a dream. But he woke up knowing that this dream was important, but he couldn't remember the dream. So he gathered all of his astrologers and scientists. He gathered all the soothsayers and the magicians. He gathered all the wise men and said, all right, tell me the interpretation of the dream. They said, we'd be glad to tell you if you tell us the dream. He says, that's the problem. I don't remember the dream, but you tell me what it means. And they said, we can't do that. And he says, fine, you're all useless. I'm going to kill you all. So when they started gathering up wise men, Daniel had to knock on his door. He opened the door and said, yes, can I help you? Yeah, we're going to go put you to death. But why? Well, the king says he had a dream. This dream's important, but he can't remember it. And all of you wise men have failed him. He says, wait, if you don't mind, can I go talk to the king? Sure. King, you give me a second. You let me gather my friends. We're going to have a prayer meeting. And my God up in heaven is able to tell you what your dream is. He says, all right. So he gathers his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they have a prayer meeting. And God reveals to them this dream. And so they go the next day and they approach King Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is your dream. You had a dream of a huge statue, an image. And the head was gold. The shoulders were silver. The belly was brass. The thighs were made out of uh, <laughs> The the belly and thighs were brass. The legs were made out of iron. And the feet were made out of a mixture of iron and clay. And he says, that's it. That's my dream. He says, what does it mean? 
And if you don't mind, let's pick it up. What does this dream mean? Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, and notice with me in verse 31. Daniel 2 and verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image whose brightness was excellent and stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. And this image head was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron and his feet part iron and part clay. Thou sawest tell a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon the feet that were of the iron and clay and break them into pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold broken into pieces together and became like the chaff in the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away and no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell you the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art the king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beast of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and thou hast made thee ruler over them all. Thou art his head of gold, and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, which another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, as the iron that breaketh all of these, it shall break forth in pieces and bruise. Whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of the potter's clay, and part iron, and the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with the miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of the iron and part of the clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave to one to another, even as iron is not mixed with the clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other peoples, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these other kingdoms, and it shall stand for ever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it break in pieces the iron and the brass and the clay and the silver and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. So he goes through this interpretation, and it helps that we have history, that for Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, this was future, but for us, much of this was history. That what happened is that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, they were the head of gold. After that, the Babylonian Empire was conquered in 336 BC by the Persian Empire. After that, the Persian Empire was taken taken out, taken over by Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire in approximately 333 BC. After Alexander the Great came the Roman Empire, the legs of iron, and the Roman Empire conquered the, the Greek Empire. The Roman Empire, however, did not 
was not conquered by someone else, but instead they imploded within. And today in Western civilization, we find our culture from the Roman Empire. Our laws, our philosophy, our way of thinking comes a lot from that Roman influence, which brings us to today. Today we're living in the time, according to this time schedule God gave, of the feet of iron and clay where we're mixed together, where we do have a common culture, but we're not, we don't always get along together. There's a differences. They don't mix together. After this, sometime after this, there's going to be a rock that was not part of this that's going to come and bowl down and destroy that whole statue. That small stone that the builders rejected is going to fill up, become part of the whole earth. And then it's going to be a kingdom that rules forever and ever. So we understand in the time frame, this is going to happen at the end of time. At the end, we know the Bible gives us more interpretation that the rapture is going to happen than the tribulation. After that is going to become the millennial kingdom. So when is the time of this kingdom? It happens at the end of time. At the end of our time. Then we come to one last thing if you don't mind. The government and the king. The government and the king. So notice the government of this king. Notice with me in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter number 9. We started off by the identification of the king. It's King Jesus. When is this going to happen? It's going to happen at the end of time. But now let's see a little bit more about this government. What does the Bible say about the government of this kingdom? Notice with me in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 we use often as a Christmas verse. Meaning that it talks about the birth of Christ. But this verse is not complete yet just with the birth of Christ. Notice with me in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 and notice with me in verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. So notice this. This son that is born one day the government's going to be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So what is this government that's set up? Well, the government type is going to be called a theocracy. A theocracy. What is a theocracy? A theocracy is a government run by God. That in this sense, God is the ultimate authority. That God is the one that we answer to. So what are we supposed to do during this government? That during the millennial kingdom, people are going to go up to King Jesus and say, what do you want us to do? They have their own right and responsibility to go to the king. And as they approach the king, what do you want us to do? And then they are to obey the will of the king, knowing that they will have to give an account of their actions to that king. 
Notice this again as it speaks about the king. And we'll talk more about this on Wednesday night. But in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace there should be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. And to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of the host will perform this. What's going to happen is that the king is going to bring down justice and judgment immediately. We know today that if you do something wrong, if you sin, it may take a little while before consequences catch up to you, even if you have to wait till eternity. But then in the millennial kingdom, justice and judgment come quickly. Let's just use a facetious example. Let's say that someone robbed a bank. You know what? Jesus already know who robbed the bank. Jesus knew who was involved and how they did it. There's not going to need to be a trial because Jesus already knows who's wrong and justice is going to come immediately. Now we understand that crime is going to work differently because we live in a perfect government and people are going to have perfect bodies and Jesus is going to rule, but I'm just using that as a facetious example. If somebody robbed a bank today, It'd be a long time for the trial and the lawyers and the appeals and everything else to set up. And then they have to prove it and they have to convince a jury to. That's not going to happen in the millennial kingdom. Justice and judgment come quickly and swiftly and righteously because of the king that rules on the throne. Now understand that in the millennial kingdom, Jesus Christ is in charge. You have your own right and responsibility to go to him and say, God, what do you want me to do? If someone chooses not to do that, they are still held responsible by the king for their actions. If you go to the king and find out what he wants you to do and don't do it, you are held responsible for your actions. We have this still today in a doctrine called individual soul liberty. You understand that every one of us have access to God. And not only do we have access to God, we have equal access to God. For example, there are some people that have the image that because I'm a pastor, I have a secret way to get to God. That I have on my desk a secret bat phone that's underneath a glass and I pick it up and pick up the red phone and I could talk right to God. Well, I don't have that. Some people say, well, maybe he's got a special calling card, right? 1-800-PLEASE-PRAY and I get a direct line to God. But you understand you have as much access to God as I do. That you can go to God anytime you want and you could talk to him. You could go to God anytime you want and ask him, what do you want me to do? So because every one of us have equal access to God... Now we come to the doctrine of individual soul liberty. Because every one of us have equal access to God, we have the responsibility and the privilege to go to God and find out His will for us. Knowing that one day we're going to stand before God and give an account for our actions. This is one of our most beloved doctrines because we believe that I don't have to force someone to believe just like I do. That a Muslim person has the right to believe whatever they want. You say, really? I say an atheist person has, a, has the right to believe whatever they want. A Wiccan has a right to believe whatever they want. Knowing that one day they will stand before God. And they'll give an account for the choices and the decisions they made. 
That's called individual soul liberty. That is a freeing doctrine, meaning that I don't have to force people to believe just like I do. They're allowed to have a difference of opinion because they don't stand an account for me. They give an account to God. And they have to give an account for their life. At the same time, we have that doctrine is an important doctrine because you have to go to God for yourself. You can't depend on your parents telling you what God's will is. You need to go to God for yourself. You can't just depend on your pastor. Now, the pastor is glad to show you what the Bible says and to give you advice. But you have your own responsibility to go to God and say, God, what do you want for my life? What should I do? Should I do this? Should I not do this? Who should I marry? Where should I live? Where should I move to? All of that, you have to go to the Lord for yourself, knowing that one day you will stand before God and give an account for your actions. This is such an important doctrine. You understand not everyone believes this doctrine. For example, there have been times where governments said, you believe this way or we kill you. They used to have a law in England and in the early part of colonial America that if you didn't go to church on Sunday, you went to jail. So go to church or go to jail. We don't believe people should be forced to go to church. We believe that you should volunteer to go to church. But one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account why you went to church or why you did not go to church. We believe that you should read your Bible. But I can't force you to read your Bible. I can't tie you up, put a Bible there and say, read it, read it. That is a decision you have to make for yourself knowing that you're going to stand before God and give an account. Where do I go to church? That is up to you. You need to go to the Lord. Now I'm glad to take the Bible and show you things but you have to come to your choice for yourself. Why? Because when it comes to the judgment of God and standing in God for an account, you are not going to have your pastor beside you to talk you through it. When you go stand before God, you will not have your husband with you. You will not have your parents with you. You're not going to say, well, I know I was 40 years old and still living in mom's basement, but mom told me to do this. No, you're going to have your own responsibility to stand before God. You understand in the millennial kingdom, judgment will come quickly, but it still works the same way for us. We all have access to God. You understand we have just as much access to Jesus Christ right now that we will have in the millennial kingdom. You can go and talk to him anytime you want. You could speak to him. You could ask him for anything. Should I get this game? Should I listen to this CD? Should I listen, watch this television thing? Should I marry this person? Should I date this person? Should I go to this church? Should I read my Bible today? You can ask him anything. And it, he will direct you if you're listening. He'll direct you. And one day you'll give an account for how well you stood before God and was obedient to what he wanted you to do. And if you decided, well, I didn't want to know anything. Well, you're still going to be held accountable whether you sought for God or not. And that's how it's going to work in the millennial kingdom. In a physical way, King Jesus is going to rule and reign. And everyone's going to have the right and responsibility to go to King Jesus and find out what does King Jesus want in his kingdom because it's his kingdom. But he is also our Lord right now. And every person will have to give an account to God for their actions, knowing that they could have went to God. You know, any person could go to God. If 
an atheist goes up to God and says, God, I don't even know if you exist, but this crazy preacher keeps leaving a track on my door. If there's a God, you show me that you're real and I'll believe you. You know what? God will listen to that prayer. He promised he would. Anyone can go up to God and say, God, show me if you're real. Show me what you want. Every one of us have equal access to God. And we could find out God's will for ourselves. And one day we'll stand before him and give an account for did we obey or did we not obey. This is one of the most precious doctrines found in the Bible. The doctrine of soul liberty. That because we all have equal access to God, we have the right and responsibility, the privilege to go to God for ourselves and find out his will knowing that we're going to stand before God and give an account for our own lives. And so for us, we can practice living in the millennial kingdom now because it's going to work the same way. We go to King Jesus. Jesus, what do you want for your kingdom? And we will obey and we'll give an account for how well we've done. That makes it simple, doesn't it? That Jesus has made the decisions for us. We just need to go up to him and say, God, what would you have me to do? And just submit to the king of the millennium. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.